Today we're going to do a chapter in um, our reading that we did this week that, for the most part, people just zoom right through because there's a a lot of names in it. There's a lot of um, locations that we're not really sure of and... um, Okay, we want to get to the good stuff, so we'll just look, we'll read it because we're going to read the Bible. But then, you know, I'm not sure what uh, Kiriath Jerem has anything to do with my life, and so I, I want us to be specific and look at a chapter like this because there's a lot of chapters in the Bible that we just kind of like, hmm, why is it in the Bible? But it's there for a purpose, and so I want I want to look at that. So if you could turn. And, and get to Joshua chapter 15. Um, and, you know, we have our little book here. It's just the Bible, and we read it daily. When we read it, most everybody in our community is reading the same passage. And it's, it's, that's kind of bringing, bringing about some synergy. So let's, let's, let's dive into it. And I'd I'd like to look at a few things, okay? So, Joshua 15. The allotment for the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin, in the extreme south. Their southern boundaries started from the bay at the southern end of the Dead Sea, crossed south of Scorpion Pass, continued on to Zin, and went over to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it ran past Hezron up to Adder and curved around to Karka. It then passed along Asmon and joined the Wadi of Egypt, ending at the Mediterranean Sea. This is their southern border. The eastern boundary is the Dead Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan, and the northern boundaries started from the bay of the sea of the mouth of the Jordan and went up to Beth Hagla and continued north to Beth Araba to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. The boundary then went up to Debir from the valley of Acre and turned north to Gilgal, which faces the pass of Adumen. South of the gorge, it continued along to the waters of Enshemesh and came out at Enrogel. And then it ran up the valley of Ben-Hinnom along the southern slope of the Jebusite city, that is Jerusalem. From there it climbed to the top of the hill west of the Hinnom Valley at the northern end of the valley of the Raphium. From the hilltop, the boundary headed toward the spring of the waters of Naphtoa and came out of the towns of Mount Ephraim and went down toward Bela. That is Kiriath Chiram. And then it curved westward from Bela to Mount Seir and ran along the northern slope of Mount Jerim, and that is Kesalon. Continued down to Beth Shemesh and crossed to Timnah. It went to the northern slope of Ekron and turned toward Shikharun and passed along the Mount Bala and reached Jabnel. The boundary ended at the sea. The western boundary is the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. These are the boundaries around the people of Judah by their clans. Am I cutting it in and out or am I doing it? So far so good? Okay. 
In the accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephua, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Shishai, Ahman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. And from there, he marched against the people living in Debur, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter to Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Shefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it, so Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. One day when he came to Othniel, when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And when she got off her donkey, Caleb asked, What can I do for you? And she replied, Do me a special favor, since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. This is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah according to its clans. And then from 21 all the way down to 63, we have a list of cities. And if I didn't have enough time reading the stuff that I did read, we would be here for a half hour and you'd be bored. So, I do want to highlight some of the cities because I think it's significant. I think it's important that we don't just brush through all the cities. The thing we need to know about these towns and villages, when they were first given to the people of Judah, they were given to them. That doesn't mean they necessarily took them. Okay? Um, there's, a, there's a list of an area, um, Gaza, Ekron, um, that's all in Philistine territory. Okay? During the book of Joshua and Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel and part of First Kings, Second Kings, the Philistines never get taken, but they've been given the land. God gave them these towns and cities. Some of these cities we don't. We have no, some of these towns. We have no idea where they are. They're buried somewhere. We don't know where they are. Or, or another town was built on top of them, and then another town was built on top of them. Another town, we don't know. You know, you, when, they, when they, we talk about the boundaries and everything is going where it needs to be, they talk about the Scorpion Pass. No one knows what the Scorpion Pass is to this day anymore. We don't know. They did, but we don't. And so some of these are just sort of guessing where the border is. Okay, but here's, let me give you a little message from another piece of scripture that's important to know when we're reading Joshua 15, okay? And that is Joshua 13. Starting in Joshua 13, the first three verses says, When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old. And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines, of the Geshurites, from the Shihar River, on the east of Egypt to the territory of Ekron, on the north, all of it counted as Canaanite through the 
though held by the five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, the territory of the Avites. Okay. It goes on longer. They talk about certain areas. But this is the part of Judah where God tells Joshua, you're getting very old. You need to make sure that the rest of the stuff gets taken. Even though you're going to die, you need to direct it. It doesn't. And that's significant because as we get more this year into the other books of historical significance, the, the books of history in the Old Testament, a lot of the stuff will keep coming up. I mean, the Philistines are a, a thorn in the side of Israel for a large portion of its history. And, but God has told them, you need to take it. It's there to be taken. And then when Judges gets to the point, there's a really amazing statement in the first part of Judges. I think it's chapter 1. He says, but, the, but Judah was not able to take the Philistines because they had chariots in the plains. Wait, what? Jericho was a walled city. And God took them down. They've conquered large portions. And now all of a sudden, well, we can't take it because the chariots. Wait, what? Do we, do we? God's not the God of the chariots? And so we see that there are excuses being made that not reliance to God. Okay? Not obeying God. And so there's large portions in, in Canaan which was supposed to be taken that was not taken. And so significantly, the first tribe that is given land, according to the book of Joshua, is Judah. And that's really interesting. Was it decided by Lot or was it because Caleb was, a, was from the tribe of Judah and God already promised him that land, and so we might as well just give it that. When, jo- when Joshua is given direction on where the tribe should go, they should be decided by Lot, but he said the size of the territory is based on the population of the tribe. But the first one, Judah, is inappropriate, the, the amount of land they're given with the size of the tribe. Now, we know now later that that was very providential. But at the beginning, it's just like, okay. So, it's on Judah, the majority tribe there, to have taken the rest of that area. And they didn't do it. And then there is another tribe right up above it, the Philistines, Dan. And they moved. I mean, if you don't like your neighbors, I guess after a while you just move. But they did. And they moved way up north, up by Asher and, and Aftali. So while I'm talking to that, we should probably get a map out. So, is there a map up that I can look at? Okay, let's go to the next one first. That one. Okay, so this purple here 
is all the land we think that Judah was given in relation to the other tribes. So the top is where the Jordan comes into the Dead Sea. And all the way down with this little peninsula that juts out into the Dead Sea. This is basically the area with which Judah was given. Now Simeon is given inside Judah. Okay, And then here's Benjamin. And right there on the edge where Benjamin and Judah meet, right right there, is the city of Jebus, where the Jebusites lived, later to be known as Jerusalem. Okay? So, this is, this is a significant apart of amount of land, even though the tribe wasn't that much bigger than the other tribes. And so, God providentially left it there. This whole area right here, all along here, is where the Philistines are. And it never gets taken. Even though they're given those cities, that area is never, well, for the longest time, taken. Actually, the Philistines fall (laughs) when another country comes and takes over. Assyria comes and the Babylonians come. Both those times, the Philistines get wiped out. But the Jews were supposed to, and they didn't. That is significant. And then we get to right in the middle of the description of Judah, you have the story of Caleb taking the land. Okay? Interestingly enough, there's a few things you need to know about Caleb. Now, you know that he was one of the two spies that said, God's given us this land, we can take it. And the other ten said, oh, let's go back to Egypt. And so God said, everywhere you set your foot, that will be your land. That's yours. Okay? And it's significant that he, he is given an area that becomes known as Hebron. Now, we've heard Hebron before. All this last year, we heard Hebron. Significantly enough, Hebron is where Abraham camped. And when Sarah died, he buried her there. And then when Abraham died, he was buried with Sarah. And so this is land that Abraham bought for his wife's burial that became forever his. So if there's any area in Canaan that because of ancient things, this is Jewish land. Okay, the other stuff they had to conquer, but this area was rightfully purchased by Abraham way back in Genesis. And so, wouldn't that area be important to God to be given to somebody who was faithful to him? And Caleb's the guy. And and this week when you read, did you read the part in chapter 14 about Caleb? I just want to read that to you, okay? Starting in verse 6. It said, Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the, the Kinesiite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old 
when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time, and he said this to Moses, well, Israel moved about in the desert, so here I am today, 85 years old, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, and I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. If there is any part of scripture that I want to speak into my life, it's I'm 85, and I'm still as strong as I was when I was 40. Because I'm not 85 yet, but I'm 55, and I don't feel like when I was 40. I've got aches and pains. I'm not near as vigorous. So I I pray that for me in the name of Jesus. Maybe that's why I named his son Caleb. Maybe that'll work for my benefits. I don't know. But anyway, so you have this story of Caleb... Being able to, still 85 years, taking on some renowned men within, they're called the Anak. We believe they're very tall in stature and strong and ruling. And he was able to take them down. Okay, And so, he took the land that God had given him. He is a good example of what needed to be done. And he did it. So much so... He gets more people of Judah involved. And he says, anybody who will take this city, I will give my daughter Oxa. Okay? And they mention Othniel. Okay? And they say, Othniel is his brother. But Othniel is the son of Canaz. And Caleb is the son of Jephunneh. Hmm. So, how can they be brothers? If you look at the Hebrew text, it may be brothers, it may be a family member, it may be part of the tribe, but it means like-minded, okay? So Othniel wanted to be like Caleb in doing what the God wanted him to do. How do we know that? Well, the thing is, we're going to see Othniel again. As a matter of fact, Othniel is the first judge in Judges that when Israel goes wayward and God allows stuff to be to be oppressed by enemies or by foreign people, Othniel is the first one to say no and become a judge and get them back on track again. And that comes from the line of Judah. It comes from within the family work of Caleb and that makes perfect sense. So, even though we read through 15, Joshua 15 went, eh, okay, I don't know where all this stuff is. Do you see the richness within the structure of God's word that lends itself to being true? And seeing the cohesiveness with which God moving through people who are willing to stand up for him. Okay, And then the whole story of Aksa 
It says that Aksa went when she was with Othniel. That means probably she's getting married now. Othniel has been promised. Aksa has been promised to Othniel because of him conquering a particular city. And so now that they're together, as a wedding gift, Caleb gives her a part of the land. And then she asks for a parting gift. Can I have some water to go with that land? And I think that would make sense to the people back there who are down there in the Arabah. Like, hey, can I have some water too? Land's not really worth anything unless you have water with it. Actually, in that area, it can be very um, deserty. But you add water to it, it becomes very fertile. So it's significant in the fact that this is Aksa who is directly related to Caleb. And she is given land. And Othniel and them get the land. So if there's any question of, hey, whose land is this? We have biblical record that that's their land. Okay? So I'd like to point out a few things in these lists of cities. Okay? So let's go back to the other uh, map, if you don't mind. There it is. Okay. So this is a smaller version, and this is the area of Judah. Here is Hebron. This is where Caleb is at. It said he took, Caleb also took this city, took them down, and used Othniel to help him do that. Here are the, this, the five cities of the Philistines. That were given to Judah, that were not taken. The significance: the, the Kadesh Barnea is where they were originally, the first set of Israelites with Moses to take the land. This was their launching spot when only Joshua and Caleb said, "We can take it." It's interesting that that area, all this area right here, was given to Judah because obviously. That's in line with Caleb. So let's look at some of these cities. Now, all, all of these cities are some we will never see again in Scripture. They mention these cities or these towns, or, and we never hear them again. It's the only time to listen to the Bible. Okay? But there are others that are listed that we will see again. Okay? So I wanted to point out a couple to you. So if you look at these lists, start. let's start in uh, verse 23. There is a mention of Kadesh. Okay? This Kadesh is never mentioned. There will be Kadesh again, but it's the Kadesh that is way up here, like in Naphtali, by Galilee. Can we get this? Is this confusing? Is there more than one Kadesh? Yes, there absolutely is. And I think that leads to understanding that this Bible is true. There's more than one Kadesh. How many have ever heard of Miami, Florida? How many of you know that there's other Miamis in the United States? There's Miami, Ohio, right? There's... Okay, I, I googled it, and you can look. There is a Miami, Missouri. There is a Miami, uh, Arizona. There's a Miami, Oklahoma. 
Guess what, guys? There is a Miami, New Mexico. Yeah, it's, it's off of Highway 21 up there in Colfax County, just off of Springer. Okay, so there's more than one Miami. Why wouldn't there be one that more Kadesh? Or you'll see here Jezreel. It's not the Jezreel that'll be later found in the, in the Jezreel Valley up in the north. Or Carmel, like Mount Carmel, where, you know, Elijah slayed the, the prophets of Baal. But they're all three listed in here. It doesn't mean they were given the whole land. But there is a town there called Carmel. There's a town there called Jezreel. There's a town there called Kadesh. But it's not the Kadeshes that we'll hear later. Well, which ones are we going to hear later that are actually those cities? Well, here we go. In verse 28, there's a mention of Beersheba. Okay. Beersheba becomes very important. This is one of those cities that did not die out. It becomes bigger. And it's basically the last lower big city in the southern part. There it is right there, Beersheba. Okay, so that's on the southern part of all the land. Now, what you will see time and time and time again as we're going through, it will say, from Dan to Beersheba. From Dan to Beersheba. Okay. The tribe of Dan moved from the Philistines and went up north and, and made a town. And they called it Dan. It was the farthermost northern part of Israel at the time. So when they mentioned from Dan to Beersheba, it's, it's, it's a euphemism that's saying all of Israel. From Dan to Beersheba, from Dan to Beersheba. You will see this over and over and over in our historical readings. And what they're saying is, it's like saying, you know, from, from Houston to Minneapolis. You know, or from L.A. to New York. I mean, it's just like, we sort of know that's the whole state, you know? So in, in the same way, that's what, what we see here. And Beersheba is one of those cities that is, we hear and we see over and over again. Uh, down in verse 31, Ziklag. Ziklag is mentioned many times in David's life. Because when David is fleeing Saul, he goes Farther into the desert, farther into the city. He's actually, Ziklag is actually Simeon territory, but uh, Simeon tribe territory, but that city is given to Judah. Continuing on, there's Lachish in verse 39. Lachish is another one that we will see over and over again. As a matter of fact, Lachish becomes such a major walled city that when um, the Assyrians come in during the reign of Hezekiah. Only two cities stand and are um, sieged. One is Jerusalem. The other one is Lachish. And so when they hear of Hezekiah, they says they are camped around Lachish. They're not camped around Jerusalem first. They go to Lachish first because it's a walled city and it's holding up. They're going to take it. Lachish is one of those cities that becomes strong and gets bigger and is part of a trade route. So, again, significant. Next one, Libna, and that's in verse 42. 
Libna is one that we will see again. Libna becomes one of the cities that are given to the Levites. Now, when you were reading this week, it's like every third or fourth passage, and the Levites didn't get any land because God is their portion, right? You see that? I was like, okay, I get it already. It just you keep hearing it and keep hearing it. But this is one of the cities God's promising. This becomes a city that is indwelled by servants of God, the Levites, who do a lot of the work. And actually, um, the, in Judah, most of those cities are given to the high priest and, and that family. Interesting, in Judah. I mean, they're given, they're given to all the tribes and different cities there. But the high priest gets in Judah. The high priest family. Another interesting one. Okay. Then they have, they talk about Ekron, surrounding settlements, villages. And this is the, all the area of the, the Philistines. They're, they group those all together. And then you go down to uh, chapter, I mean, verse 52. Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Now, some of these names sound really weird. Some of them have been changed, just like it used to be known as Kiriath Arba. They named it Hebron, okay? They named it Hebron. I mean, the Jews named it. So when they took over certain areas, they would rename some of them because some of these names were named after gods. Like you see, there's like ones like Dagon. Well, Dagon's a Philistine god, I'm not sure I'd want to live in that city if I was a follower of Yahweh and there's the name of another God. So they changed the name. And that's what they talk about it. When you hear Kiriath Arba, you should think Hebron. In fact, in Genesis, when the writer, it's known as Hebron, where he talks about it. So, Hebron is one of those that become very, very it becomes a city of refuge. This is one of the cities of refuge. If someone accidentally kills somebody and they're innocent, they, the family members might like want to take revenge. But if they can get into the walled city of a city of refuge, then cooler heads can prevail and the person who accidentally killed somebody could stay and live in that walled city until the high priest died and then the next new high priest and then he was free to go out. Okay. Now, if they were if they were intentionally murdered, there was no place for them. And so Hebron was one of those cities that had to decide whether this was an accident you accidentally dropped a rock on the guy or that you threw the rock at the guy. Okay. And so and that's important because then Hebron becomes the judges are raised up there. And the judges are the ones that decide. These are the ones that are closely associated with God. They're probably a Levite. And they're able to choose correctly. Okay. A couple of things I need to point out. There's one here in Gedi. It's getting more and more south until you get to Jerusalem. But they're talking about in Gedi over close to the Dead Sea. And Getty would probably be right about uh, there. And Getty is one of those areas where that may not be important 
an important city now, but it's, it's an important city now. It's an important finding because close to Engedi is the Qumran, is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. That finding biblical manuscript went from early 300s to BC time. And that's super significant. It's like, you know, people say, ah, this, was, this Bible was just made up. One thing we have the latest was in the 200s, 300s. Well, and then all of a sudden, we find something that was before Christ. That's super significant. And that was right close to Engedi. All right, so a couple of things I want to point out. If you are a student of the Word, when you read... The first list of all the names that, of the towns that were given to Judah, it says a total in uh, verse 32. A, a total of 29 towns and their villages. When you, did you count the towns? Because I did. There's not 29. There's 36. Wait, is the, is the Bible wrong? Here's how we get past this. In ancient manuscripts, in the Hebrew time, there was no such thing as a comma. And so, and they were all bunched together because you want to get as much written on the papyrus or whatever. They're all bunched together. We are assuming that some of these names had two names. We don't know for sure. Or could it have been a clerical mistake by the scribes as they're writing? Those are two possibilities. We also know that in the change from the Hebrew to Greek within the Septuagint, um, they added like six, six towns along the way. And I'm not sure why that is, but it seemed to be okay for Jesus to know the Septuagint. Huh. So, is that something to be bogged down on? I say no, it does not need to be bogged down. Okay, so... What does this mean? What does this mean for us? We just read this. We learned some really interesting facts. But what does it mean for us? Okay, here's two things. The first one is, of all the lists of these cities, we don't, we don't know where most of them went. We know that some became big cities and became important and significant. Okay. Jerusalem, for one. Lachish. Another Hebron, another one. But most, some of these didn't. What kind of town are you? Are you going to be significant? Are you going to last? Are you going to hang out? Are you going to stick strong for the Lord? Is your family going to stick strong for the Lord? There's... That's significant. That's something that you need to think about. Because we, when we get to the end of Joshua, Joshua will say, you can serve whoever you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the first point. The second point is, important it is in the whole history, they're the last holdout. But there were still areas that Judah didn't take. And it came back to bite them. 
causing death for many. And even at one point, the ark of God taken away from Israel. That should serve as a reminder to us. Because you know what? There's areas in my life that I haven't taken for God. I haven't. There aren't areas in my life. There are areas in my life where it's just, eh, that's still kind of a secular thing. Okay, God, I haven't got it all figured out, but you know, this one I won't really worry about for a while. One thing I know about God, when you give him your heart, he wants it all. He doesn't want a divided heart. He doesn't want someone who, well, I'll give you Sunday morning. But, you know, the rest of my life, my work life, my, my marriage, that's me. You can't tell me what to do. It's going to come back and bite you. And that small little part of your life that you have just said, well, this is for me. That's not your part, God. It's going to get bigger, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. And first, when you think you have this little, this little pet tiger, isn't he cute? Later up, he becomes a, a full-blown tiger, and he eats you. So we, we need to be careful, and we need to search. When we had communion today, so you're supposed to examine yourself. You're examining yourself in the areas of saying... God, where are the areas that, where are my blind spots? Where do I need to be worked on? And you know, we continually need to be worked on. I'm talking to all of us. Okay, every single one of us has an area where we need to actually surrender it to God. Why? Because God wants it all. Because He knows. He knows what sin can do. He knows the way it can grow and the way it can, the devastation. So, this is the time when you need to pray to God, God, and be ready. Say, God, where are areas that I need to give to you? Now's the time. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to stand up and we are going to, I'm going to dismiss you in prayer. But if you need to get some work done with God and, and pray, and that prayer, where are the areas in my life that I haven't conquered, that I haven't given over to you, Lord? That's important. Help me. Okay? Father God, we come before you. We thank you and praise you for all that you do. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Joshua 15. Stuff that's seemingly innocuous is true and is important for our development and for our study and for our knowledge of how you have moved through the people of Israel. Lord, your very promise to Abraham was that they would be a blessing to all the world. And we know that to be Jesus. We know that he was the one who took the steps who was always perfect and who gave his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us. Help us to, to identify those areas in our life that we have not given over to you, that we have not 
devoted to you and help us to become closer and more like you every day. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.